Startle us, O God, with news of your faith, hope, joy, and love for us. In this Advent season, help us to prepare our hearts for your coming. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John the Baptist wore clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Repent! He cried out while standing up to his waist in the waters of the River Jordan. People came from all over to be baptized, and when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people, when they came out to see what was going on, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Every year during Advent, we read these harsh words from John the Baptist. He was the voice who first announced the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And every year we hear his announcement again. He is the voice who alerts us to the coming of Christmas. Here we are in church, all of us. Sitting in this church building that has been here about a hundred years, we are the religious people of our day. So I am sorry to tell you, you are the brood of vipers. What is John the Baptist trying to tell us? Now, why would I say that? Why would I suggest that we are the brood of vipers in this story? Can't we be the other people who were coming for baptism? Well, sure, we could, but this story comes up every single year during Advent, and I've preached that sermon before, so today I want to focus on something different. There is a potential problem with being religious people, even if you don't consider yourself to be especially devout. You see, religion often contributes a positive sense of spirituality to one's life, but religion can also have the opposite effect. It can diminish your spirituality. The familiar rhythms of being religious sometimes numb our sense of wonder about spiritual things. So we come to church during Advent and we hear the unbelievable, radical, life-changing message of Christmas and we don't think much about it. We light the Advent candles and we sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve and on New Year's Day the decorations come down and we have not listened to John the Baptist. We have not really thought about what kind of fruit our religion is bearing. That is something like what happened to the group of Pharisees and Sadducees to whom John was speaking. That's why John says, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. Religion has dulled their sense of the spiritual. 
And it can happen to us, too. This year, Jana and I are focusing our four weeks of Advent sermons on remembering that God's Spirit resides in each one of us. The theologians have a name for Christmas. They call it the Incarnation. God's Spirit comes into the world incarnate, in flesh. God's Spirit moves in the world, in human bodies. As Jana reminded you last week in the words of Teilhard de Chardin, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Of course, the problem in this season is not only with religion, but the problem is also that Christmas has become so unspiritual. The material trappings of the Christmas season are so many. Not all of them are bad, but collectively they are overwhelming. The shopping, and the marketing, and the decorating, and the cooking, and the gathering, and the unspoken pressure underneath all of it to have the right kind of Christmas in all of those ways, all in the name of Jesus? The red and green Starbucks cups and the Black Friday deals and the arguments about politics across the dinner table from your family. We're doing all of this in the name of Jesus? So the issue in today's reading seems to be this. John the Baptist looks at the religious people and he asks them, What does your Christmas have to do with the Jesus who is coming? John has something to teach each one of us about being spiritual. What is it? First, I think it's helpful to broaden our definition of what counts as spiritual. John the Baptist is not spiritual in the sweet way we modern people toss the term around. He is not quiet, he's not gentle, and he is certainly not polite. John does not hear the good news of Jesus Christ and then ask himself, how can I make this message attractive for my listeners? He is not looking for a strategy that will minimize his risk of offending people, and he is quick to criticize people whose religion is not challenging enough. John says what he means to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the members of the religious establishment of his day. Religion is supposed to be challenging, vital, never an excuse for keeping things just the way that they are. John warns religious people, make sure that the way that you practice your religion is adding to God's movement in the world and not just keeping you complacent where you are. John's aggressive language comes from his spiritual convictions. His convictions have borne in him a sense of urgency about his message, and he cannot hide it. We hear aggressive language in lots of different places, but with John, it's not just talk. His life is genuinely committed to justice, and the proof is there in his living. 
John's preaching is done at great personal cost. He will be imprisoned and killed for speaking out against the establishment. And that brings me to my second point about his spirituality. In the midst of critiquing the religious establishment, another quality of John's spirituality is that he embraces people outside of the establishment and he lives like them. We read that John wore camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey, and often we take these things, I'm afraid, to mean that he was a little bit crazy. That's not the point. What actually is going on here is that John is showing his solidarity with the people he is baptizing. A little historical context is helpful. Ancient Israel was an agrarian society. The vast majority of regular people were very poor, and they made their modest livings as farmers and laborers who provided the food. Very small numbers of elite officials and landowners were the beneficiaries of all of that work, taking much more than their share and producing little or nothing themselves. Many Pharisees and Sadducees were serious about their religion, but some religious officials ate the meat and the grain that was brought to the temple for their sacrifices, taking more than their share and were the worst abusers of the system. They were the real brood of vipers. By contrast... The regular people of faith who came to hear John the Baptist preach in the wilderness, they knew that they were on the losing end of the economic system. So when John wears camel's hair, he's dressed not in the fine robes of the elites, but in the same rough fabrics worn by the Bedouins. When he eats locusts and honey, foods common enough for people living in the country. He's not participating in the predatory farming economy. He is living off the land and coming up with food on his own. These acts of solidarity show John's listeners that he understands what they are facing. He's communicating that he is not going to take anything from them. He effectively tells them the current economy may not be to your benefit, but God is on your side. And this isn't just good messaging for John, it's the way that he lives. It's a part of his spiritual practice. I wonder what the modern equivalent of this spiritual practice might be. Are there ways in this Advent season that we can intentionally consider what is life like for God's beloved people who provide for the way that we eat and the way that we dress? When we shop for clothing as Christmas presents or buy food in restaurants or supermarkets, how much time do we spend thinking about people who made those goods possible? The poorly paid laborer who harvests makes, ships, delivers the clothes that we find for 60% off on Black Friday. The migrant 
who is raising children out of a pickup truck, moving place to place, picking fruit, or doing dangerous work in a slaughterhouse. Perhaps there are ways in this season that we can find to learn more about their difficult lives and to act in solidarity with them by the choices that we make about what we eat and what we wear. Perhaps we can slow down our eating or our shopping long enough to prayerfully remember the people whose work enabled it and to thank God for them. Jesus was born for them and for their families. God loves them. This kind of remembering and this kind of making choices is a spiritual practice. Sometimes when I think about my own good fortune as it relates to the economic systems in which we live, I find it overwhelming. Sometimes when I slow down to think and pray, I find a lot of things overwhelming. I imagine you do too. So another thing John teaches us about spirituality is that he embraces the wilderness. John is in the wilderness. And wilderness in the Bible is always a metaphor for wandering, struggling, confusion. John is faithful. So he is in the wilderness. Serious spiritual people ask hard questions about life, and inevitably they get lost in the wilderness at times. Sometimes we have to get frustrated, we have to lose hope, we have to ad admit that we can't solve everything and that we need God. Sometimes we need to let go of a part of who we are or have been in order to make room for Christ. These wildernesses are spiritual places. It may not feel like it, but wandering is a spiritual practice. I'll say one more thing about John. John is a spiritual person in some of the ways we might expect. He goes to the wilderness not just because he is wandering, but I suspect he also went to the wilderness to get away. Perhaps the crowded life and the social pressures of urban living were drowning out the voice of God. So he leaves. He finds a quieter space. He avoids distractions. He minimizes material comforts and he waits. He waits for God to speak. This kind of spirituality is also available to every one of us. This Advent, you might set aside some time to ask yourself questions. Questions like these. Could I get up early while the house is quiet and listen for God? Could I make a commitment that every time I turn off the car, I'm going to take three deep breaths and remind myself that I am a child of God? 
when I climb into bed each night, could I end the day by remembering five things for which I am grateful? If there is something in my life right now, a mistake or a circumstance that is really a mess, could I ask God for help or for forgiveness? In preparing for the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, perhaps there is something in my life I've been needing to leave behind. What is it? The simple slowing and quieting of your life long enough to ask questions such as these. This is a spiritual practice. So perhaps it turns out that John the Baptist is not crazy or angry or judgmental so much as he is spiritual. He wants to warn people that religion saves us, but it can also lead us away from God's spirit. So ask how your religious practice is really feeding and challenging you. Consider the things that John considers. John is serious about justice, so he simplifies his life and he acts in solidarity with people on the bottom end of the economy. He challenges us to think about where our comforts come from. John knows that it is a complicated world and that the questions of faith are big ones, so he goes to the wilderness. And he invites us to lean on God for help when our lives feel like a wilderness, too. John reminds us to take time away from the busyness, to be quiet and listen, to wait for God to show up as long as it takes. There are many ways of being spiritual. I pray that you will find the one you need this season. Amen.